The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Friday edition of PFT PM. I don't have a lot of time because I'm jumping in the car driving up the road to see Jerry Seinfeld for the first time ever tonight. Looking forward to that. Stopping in Morgantown, scooping up Florio Jr., also known as A-Flow. We're going to drive up to my hometown, Capital Music Hall, Wheeling, West Virginia. Jerry Seinfeld. Going to hang out with some of my friends afterward. It starts at 7. I have no idea. Opening act how long he talks. I can't imagine he talks more than an hour. I don't know how long it's going to be. I got three or four of my friends up there. And yes, stats, I do have friends, you twerp. (laughs) I I, I say that lovingly. Uh, I I do have friends, and we're going to get together afterward for a late dinner, but hopefully it's not going to be too late. But regardless, looking forward to that. I don't have a lot of time. I wanted to do one of these today because we did about 15 minutes with Terrell Owens earlier in in the day. He's doing a media round on behalf of Febreze in advance of the Super Bowl. And of all the things you need in your house, if you're having people over for the Super Bowl, it would be a large can of Febreze in the bathroom. That would probably be a good idea, especially in light of some of the food that may be served. So needed to do something that could wrap around the Terrell Owens interview. So we'll play the Owens interview in a little bit. There isn't a whole lot of news right now beyond what we talked about earlier today on PFT Live. But obviously... The question has been answered as to whether or not Nikel Roby Coleman would be fined for an illegal helmet-to-helmet hit against Tommy Lee Lewis on the notorious play that we now know had two fouls. And we sensed that there were two fouls that were missed, pass interference and an illegal helmet-to-helmet hit on a defenseless player. And remember, any receiver in the act of catching a pass cannot be hit in the head or neck area with any part of the defender's body. Forearm, shoulder, helmet, nothing hit to the head with the helmet, that should have been flagged. Pass interference should have been flagged. This is going to be the closest thing I think we get to an admission from the league that they missed it, that they blew it. And this isn't unprecedented. This isn't some kind of a makeup call. This isn't the league overreacting. Trust me, if they could have not fined Nikel Roby Coleman, they would have not fined him. The problem is, if you don't fine him for that, then when you have other guys who are fined for the same kind of hit or maybe even something less than that, they're going to roll the tape of the Nikel Roby Coleman hit and they're going to say, how can you find me when you didn't find Nikel Roby Coleman? So, again, closest we're going to get to an admission. Wednesday, 1 p.m. Eastern is when the commissioner meets with the media. And there's a growing sense, as far as I can tell, that he is going to get grilled, that this isn't going to die down. I think they were hoping for a hard reset by Monday. I don't think they're going to get the hard reset unless something else happens between now and then. Even then, somebody's going to ask the question, hopefully. See, this is something I discussed today on PFT Live, and I feel strongly about this. That press conference is a show. And there are certain people who will be given an opportunity to ask a question. Barry Wilner, the AP, always gets an opportunity. He doesn't have to 
box anyone out. He doesn't have to put his hand in the air and go, ooh, ooh, like Horshack, timely reference. He's going to get a chance to ask a question. There's going to be people from NFL media who get the microphone, whether it's Ian Rappaport, Steve Weiss, somebody else. There will be, I set that over under at two and a half for people employed by the league asking questions at the commissioner press conference. There'll be a kid who asks a question, which is fine. It's fine, but it just just shows you this isn't a real press conference. It's a show. It's a show about nothing when there's plenty of something to discuss. And the challenge will be for someone in the audience with an independent streak to get their hands on a microphone. And then when they do get the hand on the microphone, be willing to spit out the question with no preamble. If you use a preamble that has any factual information built into it that could reasonably be disagreed with, the commissioner will avoid answering the question and quibble with you over the preamble. Guaranteed. And if you ask a multi-part question, he will only answer the part that is the easiest to answer. Now, as best I've constructed this, the question needs to be, now, if you're going to make it as simple as possible, and maybe you need some coordination or, dare I say, collusion among the reporters, and one person needs to ask, will you admit that there was an erroneous call, non-call, with... One minute and 50 seconds left in the NFC Championship game when Nikel Roby Coleman hit Tommy Lee Lewis. And let him answer that, open-ended. And then somebody else follows with, what are you going to do to fix that going forward? Because that's the, if it's one person, you got to ask that question. Will you admit that there was an error and what will you personally do to avoid these kinds of outcomes in the future? Go. Now, again, not the easiest thing to do. Number one, you got to get the microphone. Number two, you got to resist the temptation to filibuster when you get the microphone. And it's a strong temptation. I think seven, eight years ago, I got a chance to ask a question, some stupid thing about the lockout. And I just remember all of a sudden you feel like everyone is watching you and you and you feel like you're you're you've got an audience with the Wizard of Oz. I wanted to go run out the window. So that's the challenge. Get the mic. Resist the temptation to have a preamble. Resist the temptation to ask a long question. Make it simple. Make it tight. And I think what I've decided is I'm going to go with the my guts, your blood approach. And I'm going to have MDS show up and try to do it. Because he asked a fairly pointed question to the commissioner a couple of years ago. One of the biggest stories of the week. Why were the people from Barstool Sports not credentialed for Radio Row? They credential everybody, especially for media night. They credential anyone and everyone. And that all came at a time when we were trying to get our friends PFT commenter and Barstool Big Cat into the media center to appear on PFT Live. Couldn't get them in. Although they eventually found a way in. I have a feeling that may be an impediment to them getting credentialed now. But we want to have Big Cat on next week on PFT Live and he may not get in. So that was a big story two years ago. So maybe we'll send MDS back into the fray. I have a feeling there'll be some Saints reporters there, but they may not get the microphone. Oh, there's Jeff Duncan. Oh, 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 oh. Don't notice Jeff until we're out of time. Oh, wait, there's another guy from New Orleans paper. No, no, no. We don't have enough time. Our, our questions are already allotted to the people that we know aren't going to ask any tough questions. Sorry, I hate to be cynical, but I've been there. I've done that. I know how it goes. You really have to buck the system in order to get yourself in position to ask that question. And when you get that chance, you had better be ready to spit it out and you had better be ready to let it fly and you had better be able to resist the temptation to go on and on and on and on and on and on and on like I'm doing right now.
All right, here's what I'm going to do, because, again, I've got limited time today, and I want to get to some of your questions. The interview that we recorded earlier this afternoon with Terrell Owens will play now, and on the other side, I will answer some of the best questions from the PFTPM Posse. So without further ado, here's Terrell Owens. Joining us now, one of the great players in NFL history, and this is the first time we're talking to him since he became a Hall of Famer. He is Hall of Fame receiver Terrell Owens. T.O., how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. How are you? Good. How, how do you like the sound of that now when you hear yourself introduced as Hall of Famer Terrell Owens? I mean, it's, it's cool. I mean, again, it's still probably three years too late, but I'll take it however you can, however I can get it. Uh, but other than that, I mean, I, I mean, um, I think it was something that was long overdue. And, you know, now, I mean, I think it's a, a situation where now I just kind of, you know, I'm recognized for really kind of my accomplishments and, and what I did on the football field. And, and you're right. It was overdue. We had the conversation last year at the Super Bowl about it, and I'm glad to see you get in. In hindsight, what, what bothered you more about it, having to wait or the things that some of the voters felt compelled to say to justify making you wait? Well, just the, the latter part of that is just them really trying to, um, again, question my character. And I think, you know, from just from the first nomination uh, alone, and these are some of the things that started to kind of circulate. And I'm like, what are you guys talking about? I'm like, I'm not this type of person. And I'm like, just because you may have heard something from a couple of guys or whomever, even in the locker room or coaches, that doesn't speak for the majority of the locker room just because you may, somebody, an individual or two may dislike me. Um, so that was something, again, like I said, because for me, post-football, you know, the media is so powerful. And again, I think I'm trying to do things post-football off the field that, again, these businesses, they, they really adhere to, they listen to. And so when you start talking about somebody's character and you're trying to align yourself with businesses and brands and trying to establish stuff off the field, they take some of these things into account. And so, um, again, they don't understand, you know, what they say, how powerful it is and how meaningful it is. And so for me, I know who I am as a person and how I was in the locker room. And just to kind of further, you know, uh, you know, kind of pinpoint, you know, some of the character issues that no, no teammate has ever come out and say that I was a bad teammate or I was terrible in the locker room. Yeah, I'm not here standing and saying that I, I was perfect by any means, but not to the degree uh, to have kept me out um, from, from getting what I rightfully deserved, which was my, my, my Hall of Fame induction the first, first time around. And you chose not to attend the ceremony. And let me tell you, I support anybody who makes that decision. It's up to you. It's a free country. If you don't want to go, you don't have to go. But will you go at some point to see your bust? Oh, uh, yes. I mean, I've seen it. You know, I helped uh, Blair Boswell, uh, Boswell uh, who, who basically does, you know, some of the uh, the bust. I mean, I saw it firsthand. I was very instrumental in, in uh, the reproduction of my beautiful face there in Benton, Canton. So, <laughs> uh, I mean, I've, I've seen it. Um, I was uh, in San Francisco November 1st for the Hall of Fame ceremony, uh, ring ceremony there. So, Again, I don't necessarily have to be there or go there, but at one point, at some point in time, I do want to be there and go there with with my family and my kids and and Dave Baker and, and those guys. You know, since then and and even before, um, they said I'm welcome there. They're going to treat me like family, like I like like I belong. Um, but again, my 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 thing against them is just 
it wasn't in alignment. You know, everything that they said uh, when I was there, when I went on the visit, it just wasn't in alignment with, you know, kind of the vision and the core values of the Hall of Fame. And again, they put too much power in those voters, in the in the writers' hands um, that ultimately induct us into the Hall of Fame. Everything should be in alignment. Those guys should be on one accord. And I think that was a disconnect. Hey, there's an issue that you and I are in alignment on, and I could see it on Twitter this week. The horrendous call at the end of the Rams-Saints game, the NFL's reaction to it or lack thereof. What do you think the NFL should do about what happened in that game? I mean, I think when in any situation like this, again, obviously they they foul suit. Um, You know, when you go to court, um, again, like I said, whomever's, you know, the judge is, you know, looking at all the things, uh, um, you know, all the evidence and, and things put together to make up this case, then you have to go to the rule book. Um, and I know I, I've gone on the air with uh, Shannon earlier, and I and I spoke to him uh, to them about it. And, and what's in the rule book is in there for a reason. Um, it, and again, this is a probably once in a million uh, type thing that that happens, but there's probably like three things that happen on that one play. Um, again, you got the helmet to helmet, I, you know, let alone just the PI in itself. Um, then you have the, uh, the the defensive back who never even looked back at the ball. So again, all these things um, that occurred on that one particular play impacted uh, really the entire game and advancing the, the, the New Orleans Saints to the Super Bowl. And so again, it should be about fairness. It's about the integrity of the game. When you have two teams, and again, you look at this particular play, and everybody's all up in arms, like, oh, well, what about the game? You know, what about the flags, you know, throughout the course of the game? Yeah, I mean, they talk about the the, the face mask penalty in, in uh, early in the game or in the Chiefs game. Those are those are great area plays. But when you have plays like this that is black and white, that's when you have to address it. And Roger Goodell gets paid a lot of money. I mean, a lot of money to 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 do his job. And I think this is where the onus is on him to take responsibility and step up to the plate as the commissioner. Again, it's not going to be an, the most un, the most popular decision if he goes to the rule book and and as it states that you know it, he has the power to reschedule the game or from the point at which the the extraordinary act or the infraction occurred. And so again, if that happens, then you have the New Orleans Saints advancing to the Super Bowl. I can't emphasize it enough, Mike, that the rules are in the book for a reason. That again, whoever made up these rules, they understood that there, there is something that there's a possibility that something like this could happen. And 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 in this in this, in this case, um, it definitely warrants uh, you know these rules to be looked at. And I, I agree with you completely on that. And we'll see if they make any ch- fixes or changes going forward. You know, when you think back on your career and you played a long time, you accomplished a lot of things. Is there one moment that stands out for you as the proudest moment of your career? Um, the proudest moment? Uh, I don't know. I think probably if I look back on it, it's probably just, you know, I guess when I played in Philly and, you know, the efforts that I made, you know, to, to, to get back to play in the Super Bowl. Uh, understanding that again, I was risking risking my career. Uh, I end up having to sign a waiver just to play in the Super Bowl because of the extent and the severity of my injury um, that I had. And you know, I think again, there's such a misconception about who I am as a person. But I think, as I said earlier, there's not any players that have openly come out and said that I was a terrible teammate. I think mean, nobody's 100% liked in the locker room. 
Um, I think that's, you know, you, you can ask anybody, you know, in any sport for that matter. Uh, so for me, I think the proudest moment is just me really knowing that, you know, if you put your mind to something, and, and for me, I'm a God-fearing man, and I was raised in a church where my mom, my grandmother basically told me, it's like, you know, if you have faith and you put your faith in something, nothing is impossible. And so for me to do what I did and, and really kind of just, you know, really be behind my teammates and my teammates behind me and just be in that suit and play in that Super Bowl and play the way that I did, uh, I think that the, the efforts that I put forth and the training staff at that time to help me get on that football field and everybody that, that was involved, um, I think that was probably the, the proudest moment that I can, I can remember and recall right now. Antonio Brown and the Steelers currently have something going on. I don't know how it's going to play out. I don't know if Antonio Brown wants to be in Pittsburgh. I don't know if they want him there. But what advice would you have for Antonio Brown right now? I mean, I've talked with Antonio Brown throughout the course of the year, and I've kind of known some of what has been going on. Uh, he's leaned on me for advice, uh, somewhat of a mentor, uh, so to speak. And, you know, I think he's done well. I think we're just sometimes not really saying what he really wants to say. Um, I think just going out and just playing. And I think he's allowed his his play to really be at the for- forefront of where he goes to next. Because, again, re- regardless of all the issues that are inside that locker room or what have you, I think his best asset is just – and and I uh, think – if you're moving forward about where he wants to go, it's his production on the football field. Um, again, like I said, he hasn't been happy, um, but at the same time, again, there there are things that are going that are going to surface, uh, blow out of, get blown out of proportion. Um, but I think you know, with him um, and management and the organization, I think if you notice some of the uh, some of the the, the quotes coming out uh, coming out of Pittsburgh is that they don't think that he's going to be there, and I think they have to do what's best for everybody, all parties involved, and and try to try to go their separate ways amicably if that's possible. Um, if it's not amicably, then just part ways because it's not going to it's going to be a recipe for disaster, uh, as you've seen with uh, the Le'Veon Bell situation and, and and some of the things that have occurred during the course of the season. So. I think with him, I think it's a fresh start to, to go elsewhere and, and part ways with uh, the organization and some of the things that you know uh, he and Ben or have been confronted with. Um, I think it's best for him and, and his family to just go on and do what's best for his family. And uh, I think, it's, like I said, best for them to just part ways. And, and I've gotten the impression that, that he's ready to move on. I get the impression that you've come to the same conclusion. Absolutely, and I think it's 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 no secret now. I think everybody's kind of just airing, you know, putting their cards on the table. I think uh, he he wants to he wants to move on. I think the management knows that they want to, to at least try to maybe salvage, but at the same time they want to get something in return if they do, uh, in fact, release him or whatever the case may be. Um, so again, they don't want to just let him go and get nothing in return. So I think there's a lot of creative uh, ways to possibly make that happen. And I'm sure if it bodes well for both parties, then everybody will be happy in, in the long run. Um, but I, I, again, I don't like, uh, you know, just speaking with him and what I've seen, uh, you know, from, from afar, I don't like how Ben has kind of thrown him under the bus in, in some certain instances and, and just not spoken in, in, in a, in a more of a, cohesive and again chemistry uh type uh, unit especially when you have a quarterback uh, of his stature and a, and a and a receiver 
uh, of, of his stature and, and what they've been able to accomplish over the course of uh, the years that they played together. I think Ben owes him a lot more of respect than he's given him by just sending subtle messages, you know, through certain things that he, that he said, you know, throughout the media. I mean, even from the standpoint of him saying he didn't know anything about a blow-up when he was a part of the blow-up, <laughs> you know what I mean? How can you say that when, you know, everybody in that locker room and around the, around the world knows that there was something that went on during that course of the practice and then you go on the radio and say you don't know anything about it. Hey, T.O., it sounds like that locker room could use a nice blast of Febreze, which is not an <laughs> accidental reference, right? That's why you're with us <laughs> you're today. exactly <laughs> right. There's a lot of foul stuff going on, and definitely Febreze is definitely, uh, definitely needed and could, could be put to use. What do you got going on with Febreze this year? Well, yeah, just uh, second year uh, partnering with them. They're the official. Uh, this is the third year that they're the official sponsor for for the Super Bowl. Um, so again, I couldn't be more excited uh, just to be a part of it and just be a part of the, the creativity. And uh, you know, we've kind of had to adjust, uh, you know, the, the skit a little bit, and it turned out to be fun. Um, but everybody knows across the country. I mean, there's going to be a, you know, thousands and millions of of, of Super Bowl parties. Uh, so you can imagine, you know, people out of the country, you know, what's being cooked up for Super Bowl with all those different different dishes. And here in the States, you have obviously your your main staple of pizza and nachos and, and God knows what else. And then, you know, uh, with all these foods comes, you know, the bathroom is going to be probably the most used <laughs> facility uh, of everything. So you got to keep your Febreze on stock. And uh, again, like I said, I'm, 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 I couldn't be more proud to, to, to be able to promote this uh, odor eliminating MVP. That's, 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 that's going to be the, the, the Febreze is the MVP uh, of the Super Bowl this year. That's for sure. Hey, buddy, it's great talking to you. One, one more real quick. Do you get the sense where Antonio wants to play? Um, from from what I've heard, I, I mean, he wants to. I've, I've talked to him on a, on, a, on a couple of occasions, Mike, and and, and like I said, I, I'm not here to air anybody's you know uh, you know messages or anything conversations. But uh, he's asked me about how the Bay Area was on several occasions, <laughs> and uh, so again, obviously, no secret that Jerry has already come out and said he wants to play there. But I didn't get a sense that he really wanted to play there. I just thought he was kind of exploring his options. Um, but again, you know, he asked me how was the Bay Area on a, on, a, on a few occasions. So, you know, like I said, you can't beat the weather out here. And for somebody with his ability and a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, uh, you know, at the quarterback position, hey, you never know what, what can happen. You know, you see how, you know, how they play with and without Jimmy. Um, you think of bringing a, an offensive weapon like that, um, you know, to the team, um, that team can go a long way, can shake up uh, the NFC West. And then possibly, hey, you throw me in the mix, you know, somewhere down the road. <laughs> hey, it be, be a recipe for disaster. <laughs> All right, buddy. Hey, I've kept you longer than I should have, but I've really enjoyed talking to you. We look forward to talking to you again down the road. And uh, congratulations yeah. again on finally getting into the Hall of Fame, even though it was a few years too late. Thanks, pal. It's all good. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks to Terrell Owens. Interesting conversation. Revealing conversation on a variety of fronts and the Antonio Brown situation inching closer and closer toward a T.O. 2005 style showdown between Brown and the Steelers. And that's the one thing that has been lost in all of this. What do the Steelers want? What does Art Rooney want? What does Mike Tomlin want? What does Ben Roethlisberger want? What does Antonio want? Antonio wants out. Antonio's had enough. 
He keeps teasing, and he hasn't done this for several days now at a minimum. The big interview he's going to do, I don't know who he's going to do it with. I don't know what it's going to be about. I'm happy to do it with him if he wants. I'll give him a full platform. I may ask a few pointed questions. But if he wants out, he wants out. Now, he's committed for three more years, but if the Steelers are done with him and they want to trade him, they better do the best deal they can because it sounds like he doesn't want to be there and you don't want that distraction. All right, some questions. Over under on how many days before you are completely tired and fed up with all the Super Bowl BS and the same stories, storylines, getting hammer over and over before you say to hell with it all. I just want to see the game. That's a question from the PFTPM posse. Well, earlier this week on PFT Live, Barstool Big Cat had his five overplayed storylines of Super Bowl 53. And you know how it goes. Jerome Bettis is from Detroit. I mean, the problem is you're going to get media covering this event that don't cover football all the time. And that's not to say that you need to cover X's and O's, but you know there may be some deeper dives into anyone who has any remote geographical connection to Atlanta. And of course, Sean McVay went to high school in the area, so we're going to hear a lot about that. We're going to hear a lot about the parallels between Super Bowl 36 and Super Bowl 53. We're going to hear a lot of speculation about whether or not Tom Brady walks away, whether Rob Gronkowski walks away. But what are we supposed to do? That's, that's why they give you two full weeks. I can't imagine. Can you imagine... If there was only one week between the conference championships and the Super Bowl, because the day after the conference championships, it'd be straight to Atlanta. Maybe you got to go to Atlanta the day of the conference championships, so you're set up if you're doing broadcasting from Radio Row. You start Monday. And as you're trying to react to the conference championship games, you're getting ready for the Super Bowl. You're cramming it all into one week. So yeah, by the end of the week, it's probably going to get old, but... By the end of the week, we start processing a lot of players and coaches and people coming through for interviews. So maybe we can make some news, break some news, find some things that they'll say that will create some headlines unrelated to Patriots Rams. Jordan Roberts NC has a very important question as it relates to the PFTPM policy. What group do I fall in if I listen to the morning program every afternoon, but never the PFTPM podcast? Well, I don't know. There's no group. There was no group needed to keep the morning program alive because I get paid for the morning program. I don't get paid for the afternoon program. So when I thought about saying the hell with it a year or so ago, that's when the PFTPM posse rose up, emerged, and threatened me, Roger Stone style. Uh Uh-oh, stick to football, stick to football. Threatened me, Roger Stone style. Threatened my dog, Roger Stone style, to keep doing it. PFTPM policy, why does the NFL go so aggressively with the full weight of the NFL after teams and players with sham high dollar investigations resulting in two harsh punishments based on often flimsy evidence, even though it's bad PR, yet hide their own mistakes, nonsensical and illogical. Look, that's what we hear all the time when there's deflate gate, bounty gate, etc. There must be a punishment because it undermines the integrity of and public confidence in the sport of professional football. Well, nothing undermines that more than what we saw on Sunday. When we see a blatant missed call and there's no acknowledgement from the league and no effort from the league to make it right. Now, as you heard Owens say, he's a firm believer that the commissioner should have invoked Rule 17. I'm not sure Rule 17 is supposed to apply in that circumstance. I think it's available if the commissioner chooses to use it. And I interpret that rule to make it Something the commissioner exclusively decides what he's going to use and not use it for. But 
you got to do something. You got to say something. And I, I think that they were just caught between so many competing political considerations within the league. Because if you admit that mistake, you have delegitimized the Rams' participation in the Super Bowl. And you don't want to do that because you want the people in L.A. to feel like their team is in the Super Bowl, even if they're not all that excited about it because they don't care about the Rams because the market was empty for 20 years and they have other teams they root for. So, look. On one hand, you can say, wow, they really need to admit this. On the other hand, you can say, why? Everybody knows they screwed up. It's stupid of them to not admit it. It only makes them look bad. Do you really think that there's anyone out there that isn't aware of this blunder that suddenly is going to see on uh, online somewhere or in the newspaper if they still get a newspaper? Oh, look at this. The NFL made a mistake. Well, hey, hey, look at this, Phil. I'm reading here for the first time that the NFL made a mistake at the end of the Rams-Saints game. I had no idea they made a mistake. They've alerted me to something that I was not previously aware of. Everybody already knows. So why not admit it? I think because if they go down that path, they got to tell us what they're going to do, and I don't think they know what they're going to do. How about the Dan Rooney proposal? For years, before we ever started pushing for a video official, Dan Rooney had the idea. That's from Ed Bouchette of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ed doesn't know whether or not Dan Rooney ever made that proposal to the league. He should have. And he can now. We're pushing it on his behalf. If the league doesn't want to listen to me, listen to Dan Rooney. There can be a new Rooney rule. There's already one Rooney rule as it relates to minority interview processes. Have a Rooney rule too. The use of video officials, a member of the crew who is sitting in a booth watching the game on TV with all of the available angles and communicating in real time with the referee and telling them when they've made mistakes. You're not going to make the officiating any worse. You're only going to make it better. God forbid we aspire to do better. I'll tell you what, NFL, you better do better or you're going to have Congress up your ass. All right. Move on. Dr. J144, why isn't Larry Fitzgerald unanimously considered the second best receiver of all time with the talent, stats, postseason plays he's made, and the person he is? I think he will be when it's all said and done. I think he will be. I don't think he's played on enough winning teams. When he gets to the postseason, he's great. He just hasn't been there enough. our, Our immediate reaction to Larry Fitzgerald coming back to the Cardinals for his 16th season was why? Why would you go back to the Cardinals? I like the idea that he wants to stay with one team his whole career, but why would you not finish your career somewhere else? Why not play for a contender? Are the Cardinals going to contend this year? I'd be shocked if they do. I think Fitzgerald has another play in mind. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets into politics. If he's thinking about getting into politics, then staying put in Arizona for his full career is the way to go. You don't want to break that chain. So maybe there's something more at play here for Larry Fitzgerald, who wants to continue to play football, But maybe whatever he's thinking about doing post-football, and he has every right to do that, maybe that has become a factor in staying in Arizona. Recliner QB, isn't there already like three-ish minutes between the majority of plays already where a replay video official in the booth could review plays, most plays, without slowing down the pace of the game? Yes, yes, thank you, yes. Here's the thing. The use of a video official could rectify obvious errors immediately. 
as part of the first look. And replay review would still be available if somehow that system gets it wrong. Right now, we rely on seven people who are on the field to get it right. You throw in an eighth official who is trained in all the rules, who maybe has been on the field before, maybe somebody older, somebody who has graduated from officiating and is in the booth and can speak with authority to the referees. Maybe that person is the one who does it. And together with the officials on the field, they make a decision. And that's the ruling on the field. They'd have to come up with a name for it. Well, no, you could still call it the ruling on the field because the referee is getting the input of the video official before there's a ruling on the field. And then the replay process is available. Burn unit, do you think a solution for calls, non-call challenges and or replay review would be to apply it only to an act in which there is direct effect on the play. The non-call pass interference had a direct impact. The face mask did not have a direct impact. That's a little too fuzzy. Use a video official, and if the video official thinks there was a face mask, you contact Bill Vinovich and say, throw a flag, face mask. If the video official thinks there was pass interference, throw a flag, pass interference. Terry Gensler, 14. Any chance the Patriots win the Super Bowl and Tom Brady isn't the MVP... One could argue James White should have won MVP in 51. I agree with you, and I think we took the position. But here's the thing. There's a certain point where the player overwhelms the award. Super Bowl 41, it shouldn't have been Peyton Manning. Shouldn't have been. Should have been Dominic Rhodes. But this was Peyton Manning's Lifetime Achievement Award. So I think that's going to be a factor. And look at it this way. If it's somebody offensively, unless it's a 250-yard rushing attempt rushing performance rather like if it's passing yardage that all rolls up into Tom Brady it's going to be hard for it not to be Brady I think it's like even money or two to one or something like that Brady's the overwhelming favorite to be the Super Bowl MVP CJ Newman how will the Rams get out of their cap situation once it's time to pay Jared Goff look there's people who are going to be there for short periods of time Marcus Peters may be gone to keep Tlaib will be long gone and Dominican Sue is going to be gone They're going to have to be ready to lather, rinse, repeat as they bring guys in and let guys go. And at some point, they're going to have to pay Jared Goff. At some point, they're going to have to figure out how much they want to pay him. At some point, they may regret paying Todd Gurley, especially if this knee is going to keep swelling up spontaneously with no specific trauma to it. At the real Forno, if any former Seinfeld character makes a surprise appearance tonight, who do you want it to be? I doubt that Jerry Seinfeld has former cast members following him around to every small venue where he happens to be appearing. This isn't some big show in New York City. It's Wheeling, West Virginia, so I don't know. The most you could hope for in a setting like that would be Kenny Banyer, the soup Nazi. Maybe Newman. But my guess is Jerry... Look, even though he's still making a ton of money, Hulu's paying... A load of cash to have the streaming rights to the Seinfeld show. It's the only reason we got Hulu. And I got all the DVDs. It's just a lot easier to click on Hulu. On tour forever has Macy learned any new tricks? I haven't taught her many new tricks lately. All of her tricks are food related. There's the old standby. She'll sit and she'll give you a paw when she wants something to eat. And I've got her trained where she'll... You know, she'll put her paw, she'll jump up and put her paws on me and I'll give her something to eat. She'll chase me around. She tries to chew my slippers. No real tricks per se. 
She likes to, you know, she'll get something in her mouth that she wants to fight you with. She'll get in her mouth and she'll come right up and press it right into me. She wants me to grab it so she can, like, you know, shake her head and growl and stuff. So we haven't really gone full out on tricks. Oh, oh, and I'll get her to, I'll get her to walk on two legs. I always think that's funny. I'll tell you this, though. I don't know what she would do if anybody ever broke into the house. But that's when she sees or hears something or someone outside. And so far, it's only been something. But sometimes it's like my kid coming up from the barn if he's in town and it, she doesn't realize it's him. And there's this like nasty bark and she gets pissed and she keeps barking and she'll snarl and she gets up on two legs and and she will not let it go. And it's like, I'm really pissed that there's something out there that shouldn't be out there. So, again, I don't know what she would ever do if somebody broke in, but... I know from my years of experience delivering newspapers, uh, that would be enough for me to not wait around and find out whether or not those teeth are going to end up in my arm or my leg or my neck. That's for damn sure. Matt Yvonne, Matt in Beantown, his stats going to the Super Bowl with you and Sims. Can you keep us informed as to his quirky escapades? He will be working there all week, but he always leaves on Friday. He never goes to the game. And this year, we, we do a PFT get-together, the writers, the people who are there for the show. We usually do it on a Friday night, but Stats is always gone. This year, we're doing it on a Thursday night, not to accommodate him. Matt Casey's leaving, too. We're doing it to accommodate Matt. He's leaving Friday as well. So we're doing it Thursday night. Matt in Beantown, the Seth Wickersham article was embarrassing for Jimmy Haslam. He basically admits to inadequacy in making organizational decisions. The Flying J debacle aside, what makes owning, operating an NFL team so much different from running a Fortune 500 company? I think here's what it comes down to. Plain and simple. You've got two ways to measure success. One is how much money you're making. And all of the organizations are making money. They share the big revenues. Local revenues may vary from team to team, but they're all making money. They're all turning a profit. So how else do you define yourself? What else do you do? How do you set yourself apart from all these other billionaires? My team wins, your team doesn't. And somebody's going to lose. That's the thing. All 32 owners could be completely successful running their teams, highly functional, no problems, no issues. Every owner could be that good. And there's still going to be for every game a winner and a loser. And every year when the dust settles, there's going to be a team that's 10 and 6 and a team that's 6 and 10, a team that's 12 and 4 and a team that's 4 and 12. There's only 256 games. Barring ties, there's going to be 256 wins and 256 losses. No matter how, it could, every team, you could, you could clone the Patriots. You could have 32 Bill Belichick's, 32 Tom Brady's, 32 Robert Kraft's, 32 Josh McDaniels, and... Maybe they'll all gravitate toward 8-8, eight and eight, but eventually somebody's winning and somebody's losing and somebody's going to pick first in the draft. So that part of it is kind of, it's kind of, it makes it fun, although it makes it maddening. And if you are dysfunctional, if you can't figure it out, if you are a leader that just floats from person to person seeking input in a way that suggests you're confiding in that person and the next thing you know you're confiding in someone else and confiding in someone else and confiding in everybody and then firing people it doesn't work steph boyardee if you had the number one pick in a fantasy draft who are you taking and who would be your coach for like to start an nfl team like if i could pick one player right now i'd pick patrick mahomes if i'm starting a team right now i am picking patrick mahomes without question which coach would i take probably sean mcveigh he's 33 
He's 33 and he's proven in two years he can compete at a high level. So I got Mahomes for 15 years. I got McVay for 33 years. At a minimum, I'd be set. On tour forever, who other than Kiss would you like to see perform at the Super Bowl halftime show? Hey, my official position for years has been Kiss or Green Day. Although, although, I've kind of become a Bruce Springsteen fan. I don't know that there's a special name for Springsteen fans other than Springsteen fans. After I went to see him on Broadway in August, and I've watched the show on Netflix, and I've been, it's like discovering, like stuff that's been hiding in plain sight for 40 years. Like I'm discovering now, and this is great, like Thunder Road. I love Thunder Road. And I remember hearing that people like Thunder Road, and I listen to these songs, it's like there's no, there's no structure to the song. There's no, there's no refrain, what is it, what is it, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out. That's the formula for a hit. They just kind of poems that go on, but it's beautiful. It's compelling. And he just jams extra words in wherever he feels like it. Like every version that he's ever done of Thunder Road is unique, like a snowflake. It's amazing. Now he uses the same words, but it just sounds different. It's got a different feel to it. It's really, I don't know. So I would I would settle for another Springsteen. Oh, that was 10 years ago at Super Bowl 43. First Super Bowl we went to. Terry Gensler 14, is it telling in any way that Nick Foles didn't comment on the Carson Wentz story from phillyvoice.com? I don't, I don't know. If he was still going to be there, maybe. He's not going to be there, so it doesn't matter. On tour forever, if the Pats lose and go 5-4 and four in Super Bowls, how will that tarnish the Brady-Belichick legacy? Or will it? Nine appearances is impressive, but four losses is a stain. Is it, is it a stain? I, I said to Tom Curran today on PFT Live, when you look at everything the Patriots have achieved over the last 17 years, and you look at 5-3 and three in the Super Bowl, it's like they go 5-3 and three for half a season. You say they're kind of struggling. All those Super Bowls have been close. They could be 8-0, 7-1, 6-2. They could be 0-8. Although I don't think you would muster the ability to keep going back every year if you keep losing these heartbreaking Super Bowls. But they've got five close wins. They've got three close losses. That's why I think this one's going to be a blowout. You never see anybody predict a blowout in the Super Bowl. I think I'm going to predict a blowout by the Patriots over the Rams. PFTPM Posse, Sean Payton said the NFL told him the officials aired by letting the play go unpenalized, but it was helmet to helmet. Aren't the officials supposed to err on the side of player safety in case of helmet to helmet or quarterbacks hits? They've gotten away from erring on the side of safety because they don't like to use the word err, but they are supposed to enforce that aggressively. So yeah, all the more reason why they blew it. I need to wrap up. I need to get rolling. I'm sorry. I've answered as many as I can. Let me scroll here and, and see... If there's anything else on our way out. Steven Wise, 89. Have you seen comedians in cars getting coffee? If so, what do you think? Look, I've watched some, but I don't obsess over watching it like I would obsess over watching Seinfeld. So it's good. It's not great. It's not as good as the show was. It's okay. It's good. It's good. All right. Uh, let's see what else we have here. Let me let me let's get out of here on on a high note. Burn unit has a very important question that must be answered before we shut down for the week and head to Wheeling for Jerry Seinfeld and then head to Atlanta for the Super Bowl. What kind of candy do you keep in the barn? Well, we keep a wide collection of candy in the barn. There's a wooden candy dish that we keep full of a variety of things. Now, summertime, you got to be careful because things will melt. And when a starburst melts, you got a problem. You got a big problem because it melts and it oozes out everywhere. 
and then it never goes back to the way it should be. It always stays in kind of a semi-melted state, which tells me we probably shouldn't be eating them. Tootsie Roll, same deal. Once it loses its solid form, it never really goes back. Hershey Kisses, summertime, be careful. I usually try to keep most of the candy in this kind of, it's kind of like a cooler type thing that has insulation to keep it from getting too uh, too melty. But uh, uh, So it's a seasonal type of an analysis. My favorite candy is the Heath Bar, the small Heath Bar, because it's just one little bite and you can have like 10 of them and it feels like it doesn't count because it's just one little bite. We're big on the variations of the Reese Bar, the Reese, the Reese Bar, the Reese Cup, the egg, the tree, the small ones, the full size, the regular chocolate, the white chocolate, the dark chocolate, the Kit Kat is a popular item, the regular chocolate, the dark chocolate, the white chocolate, the, the various iterations of the, you know, you take the, the Milky Way and it can be the Three Musketeers if it's just the nougat, it becomes the Snickers when you throw in the nuts, then you've got the almond version, I like the Nestle Crunch Bar. It really depends on what mood I'm in. But I, I, oh, oh, and I forgot to mention the caramel creams. Lately, it's been two caramel creams and a Heath bar. That's the first pass of the bowl. And then the next pass of the bowl, two caramel creams and a Heath bar. And usually that'll be the extent of it. Because when we're down there, we will have eaten a fairly large meal. So you go easy on the candy when you've had like five pieces of pizza, which is often the, the consumption amount. We had steaks for the... NFC Championship game and AFC Championship game in between the two games and it was good. I had no candy that night. Oh, and lately folks have been showing up with little Debbie, the boxes, the Nutty Buddies, right? Swiss rolls. We've yet to have the Nick Saban favorite, the oatmeal cream pie. I have a feeling that's coming. Yeah, it's a healthy endeavor down at the barn. Sure to extend your life for many years with pizza, chips, booze, candy, and then five or six guys or more smoking cigars simultaneously. Yeah, that's that's good for everybody. All right, I got to go. On that note, we're going to head up to Wheeling. We're going to check out Jerry Seinfeld. We will try to do as many PFTPMs as we can from Atlanta. We will have a ton of guests next week, so we're going to jam some of the interviews we tape into the afternoon program. So uh, keep an eye out for more PFTPM content, PFT Live from Atlanta all week long. Can't wait to get down there and get set up and get rolling. Enjoy your weekend. Get ready for the Super Bowl. Super Bowl week's going to be here. It's going to fly by like it always does, and we hope to give you plenty of content, plenty of information, plenty of entertainment. Enter- plenty of entertainment. It's always important to enunciate. Thanks for your time. Talk to you Monday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. 
That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.